Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Salutations and hello to all of my listeners, my unlucky lounge rats. Thanks for joining us back here in Monastery Manor for a brand new episode of Draft and Draft. My name is Corey, your limited lore master, denizen of this, the unlucky lounge. And joining me as always is the bad bear behind the bar. His name is Borok. You know, it's time for us to dig a little bit deeper into our adventures to Las Vegas for the Channel Fireball event. <laughs> I get the disappointment, I truly, truly do, but we needed you to stick behind, tend the bar, and I mean, hey, it's not like you invite me during hibernation season. <laughs> yes, thank you, Borok, but clearly, I know I'm right. Ooh. Is it story time here? <laughs> I can't wait to hear all of your Vegas stories. Oh, well, I guess this is going to be a Mr. Turtle episode, isn't it? <laughs> Well, before we dive into our audio journaling and Vegas stories, a few bits of housekeeping and upkeeping first. As always, this podcast is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. Check them out at BLEAV.com or wherever you download your audio goodness. Keep your midday blues away with Believe. And if this show is giving you some joy, take some time to find us on our socials on Twitter, TikTok, and Twitch. That's Draft and Draft Corey. You can find my personal Instagram, Corey Damone Enriquez. And if this show is giving you some joy, you're having a good time listening at the end of the week to Friday Night Podcast or maybe catching one of our story episodes every once in a while, we'd love for you to join us on Patreon. Patreon.com backslash Draft and Draft. It truly is the lifeblood of us content creators. So help us keep the lights on here in the Unlucky Lounge. Well, that's all of the housekeeping and upkeeping. The sorcerer's broom is put back into the conjurer's closet, and it's time to unravel some unique stories from our trip to Las Vegas. While I was heading out there, I knew that I was getting back to what this show was all about. If you go all the way back to episode one of this draft and draft, you'll notice that it started with a story, the story of when I met Mark Rosewater on my old cruise ship, the Disney Fantasy. Then I continued journeys through and told about stories like the day the swamp dried out, how I got into magic, and truly I believe that these personal accounts are what makes this game special. No matter how we got into MTG, whether it be through arena, local game stores, or maybe even just simply kitchen table magic, each and every one of our journeys to make it into the planeswalking multiverse creates a dynamic tapestry of the game and why it is what it is today. And so I wanted to get back to these story episodes. So when I heard that Channel Fireball was going out and they were putting up a big event that I wanted to be there, I wanted to get back to what this podcast was inspired to do. And so along the way, I recorded some audio, some personal in the moment accounts of what was happening in Vegas, my journey during the different days. And well, today we're gonna play some of those audio clips, expand upon them and talk through some of my favorite stories, people I've met and beyond here in this audio scrapbook of my trip to Las Vegas for the Channel Fireball 25K tournament. Uh, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, Borak, I did that whole intro in one take. What can I say? I've become a podcasting pro. Uh. Sus, Borak, really? 
I mean, what do you take this to be? 2020? Among Us was so last year. Oh, little slow on the uptake there, eh, Barack? <laughs> Mr. Turtle with the turtle sass. Snaps to you, buddy. Look at you developing as a character. What kind of turtle are you anyway? A snapping turtle? Well, I guess you could say I'm coming out of my shell. Harsh. <laughs> 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 Oh, I'm sorry, Corey, I missed that. Well, what did Borak just say? Well, I mean, when it comes to translating from Bear, it's not an exact translation, but it would be something like... Tonight I dine on turtle soup. Oh, oh, I think I'll just slowly walk over here. Well, you know what they say, if you can't take the heat, get out of the furnace of wrath. Well, my lucky lounge rats, let's dig into some story time. Let me give you some of the accounts of my time out in Vegas, and let's unravel some really fun details from an extraordinarily enjoyable weekend. Well, we got lucky and found our bag relatively efficiently, and now we're starting to roll our way towards the taxi exit, and we're gonna try and catch a little Uber to find our Airbnb, and let me tell you why this... Yeah, Barack, I know the audio quality's not the best, but I'll interject every once in a while, give some insights and all that. I don't know, I've always been obsessed with almost like a fear and loathing in Las Vegas slash Hunter S. Thompson point of view. I mean, hey, when in Vegas, right? Might we come in contact with along the way? And yeah, last week we had a uh, pretty tough Friday night podcast draft, and I'll give everyone a fair assessment of my own play so far in Crimson Vow, and that is not very good. So a little bit of context to all of you mind lucky lounge rats prior to this day where I traveled to Vegas I had finished my first Friday night podcast that I had done in months. It's two episodes prior to this one It was the blue red deck that I drafted. It was a muddled mess Honestly, even though this format crimson vow is more aligned with the old red heuristic of drafting decks which means prioritize bombs removal evasion you still need to have a game plan, and you can't go too wide on your game plan, otherwise you're going to have a muddled mess of a deck. I went 0-3 and decided that I needed to learn more about Crimson Vile, so let's do another draft and try some new things. I drafted a green-white mess and also went 0-3, and, and I decided to spend $20 to get more gems and do some more drafting. And I did a little bit better, but I was like, I gotta learn more about this format. I spent a lot of money to go out to Vegas, so we gotta learn more about Crimson Vow. So... <laughs> Well, I didn't have a lot of faith going into my flight to Vegas, so, well. I mean, you could say quit while you're ahead, but I wasn't at all ahead. <laughs> but, hey, when going to Vegas, you gotta take some risks. But, let's continue. But the truth is, we're gonna get out there, we're gonna play some seal, sit down across some people, and, you know, as they say, any given Friday, who knows what will happen. And so today, we are going to catch ourselves a taxi, taking the sights of Viva Las Vegas, and we'll probably head over here on Friday to jump right into some casual play, get ourselves ready for the main event that's starting tomorrow in Limited. And then, well, maybe we make day two, maybe we do not. The most important thing is, in order to play, you got to show up. And to me, that's the kind of healthy mentality you should have when you attend these larger events. So in the horizon, if we get more of these, maybe actually WotC sponsored or still sponsored by places like TCG Player, Channel Fireball, whomever, you can set realistic goals. Make day two, have a record of X and whatever. But to me, 
when it comes to playing magic, creating content, or just having general life choices, there are so many things that get in the way of us trying to take a line because we're trying to make the best choice, the optimal choice, but sometimes just making a decision is worthy of celebration in itself. Oh, Corey, you know, I was going to say I wanted to join you for the Vegas event. Really? I had a ticket and a flight booked and everything. Then why didn't you show up? Well, I guess I was too slow and missed my flight. <laughs> no, 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 that, no, that is not a rimshot moment. That was barely even a joke. That was just an observation that you're, you're a turtle. Yes, Corey, but you're the one that writes all the shows, so what does that say about you, turtle? Oh, God. Is Mr. Turtle becoming that oddly fourth-wall-breaking character in our franchise now? <laughs> oh, I forgot what day it is. For some, it's just any normal average day. For me... It's Tusky Tuesday at the Cold Mart. Oh, I gotta get all the savings, turtle. I don't. <laughs> Borak, I, I'm so, I'm sorry. I literally don't know where to go from here because I'm fairly confident that Mr. Turtle just made a Street Fighter the movie reference. The day Bison graced your village was the most important day of your life. But for me, it was Tuesday. If you're a fan of bad movies, well then, enjoy that new one to put on your list. Let's get back to our Vegas memories, shall we? Well, we are here. It's Vegas. We're in the downtown area right outside of the convention center, which is, if I may say, not small at all. It's a multi-tiered building with a very defined glass facade, and clearly there are multiple events happening around here. So navigating and finding the area will be well, the first big challenge, but we drop the bags off at our Airbnb, and so we go to a place where I've never been before. Oh man, I feel like I've got goosebumps. Or just chills, I don't know, excitement. I started this podcast all the way back in December of 2019, right before the pandemic hit, and the whole purpose draft and draft was connection putting the gathering back in magic the gathering yeah i think that has moved from a heartwarming phrase now to becoming a full-on cliche <laughs> and of course last year happened as last year often does and so now we're getting back to why i became a content creator in the first place why i made my show and well, here we go so that was the end of my recording, actually, from the first day I got there being Friday, the day before the limited main event. I spent the rest of the day getting my bearings, understanding the space, trying to take it all in. One thing that I think is often underrated is just knowing what the space looks like, where the bathrooms are, and where you can grab a bite to eat, because when you're in between rounds and you haven't eaten and you're on hour number seven of playing, a quick bite to eat can be the difference between actually having your mind in the game and thinking, where's the beef? We have rolled our way into day two as we're taking a nice little vinyl walk at 8.11 in the morning. I kind of figure, why not get the blood pumping? Who needs to call an Uber when you can just walk a mile to get to the convention center, you know? In any case, what happened last night? Well, got to the convention center and boy, was Las Vegas pumping. There was, from what I've heard, 
about 1,400 people at this convention hall. And from some whispers and shades in the corners, they were anticipating and being happy with only 700. But boy, the spirit of adventure and getting out there would not be denied, my fellow planeswalkers. It was a big convention hall, so much so that towards the end of the night, when I finally felt like I wanted to get a little vow draft on, get myself ready for this morning, they actually did not have any drafts on demand. They had some turbo drafts, but that doesn't really, doesn't really tickle my fancy. And for those who are going to a future, maybe Channel Fireball event or Magic Fest, if we ever get them again, a turbo draft is a draft your deck and then play one round, winner take all. And I will say this, Borok, there is a certain barrier of entry in learning all of the different terminology and events when you get there, turbo drafts, double ups, it's quite a bit to take in. I mean, in the future, I suppose, I could do a little bit more signing up ahead of time and some research on the event webpage, but otherwise, just asking people and trying to get that first-hand experience as to what some of these things are and definitely not going in the wrong line and waiting for a good 10 minutes until you realize you're just actually in the wrong place to begin with. And this definitely did not happen to me on this particular weekend. Not at all. You know, I get it kind of lines up with the way that Arena is, but I don't know. I kind of want to draft my deck, get to know its nuances, and play a few rounds with it at least. I mean, to me, that's kind of the difference between paper and digital magic. The best of one on Arena makes a lot of sense. You're on the go, you're pulling your phone, you're playing away. It only takes you maybe about 10 minutes, 10, 15, if you're in a solo kind of game like Valve can end up you know, providing for you from what I've seen so far. But now a lot of accounts that I'm learning, it's actually more of an aggressive format, but that's neither here nor there to the point. Well, let's make it a bit of the point at this moment. I actually don't know if I'd call Vow an aggressive format but certainly leans more on the mid-range plan. Say, for example, green-red, 4-4-4, four, 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 and transform cards. Also, to some degree, the red-black blood deck can have an aggressive draw. And then there are the control matchups with the bombs, but that's just kind of insight I've had since that Vegas event. But in Paper Magic, when I'm drafting a deck, I want to draft the deck. I want to play with the deck. I want to embrace what it is, learn it, and then, since I'm playing upwards towards nine games with it, why not get a chance to learn its nuances? That's why I created the Draft Hall of Fame in the first place. For my newer listeners, feel free to look back at the episode entitled The Draft Hall of Fame. There's a little fun little Long story short, it's foil commons and uncommons that we would collect from draft decks that we would trophy with in LGSs. It's a bit of a vanity project, but it was a lot of fun. Episode 9 of the podcast, if you want to give it a listen. In any case, there's no drafts last night for me to jump into, so, well, I'm diving in, just with the right amount of experience, I feel, for Innistrad, Crimson Vow. What's going to happen today? Who knows? I'm going to be there, get checked in, should be around 8.30, the event starts at 9, and then game on, Donkey Kong. You know, in this moment, I was just, I think, really praying to the gods of the Blowing Eternities to open a few strong, powerful rares, especially in a princely format like Crimson Vow, when sealed and big bombs can get you to day two, but hey, you know, we got all the control over what we open, right friends? If I go X and two, so only two round losses, I'll make it to day two. If not, well, <laughs> it's time 
to find some side events. I brought plenty of commander decks, which is what I ended up doing yesterday, but I would love to be able to inch my way back into day two again. You know, Borok, isn't it kind of funny how not too long ago here on the podcast, I literally said, try not to set expectations and to just show up and there's value in that? <laughs> Yeah, one might call that subliminal foreshadowing, but let's take a look and see what the sealed deck ended up being and talk about some insights from the cards. Back to you, Corey. The good news is we have a serviceable deck in the end. When it comes to sealed compared to all the graphs that we do on the podcast, you're looking to just have something that's cohesive, something that fits together and something that can rumble and has a yeah, Borok, so this is a great example of coming up with a really cool idea, going Hunter S. Thompson, recording things in the moment, getting the visceral element, and then, unlike our Parks and Pairs episodes, that, you know, the overhead PA system gets in the way of the recording off of my AirPod Pros. Yeah, so to compensate, I'm going to try to ascertain the things that I can hear from myself, and also, you know, I was there. Essentially, what I'm explaining right now is I've got a black-red deck with removal and blood tokens, and not a lot of vampire synergies, but I think that's kind of a truth of the black-red deck in general in Crimson Vile. It looks like a vampire deck, but truthfully, it's just a blood synergy deck. But the blood synergies actually are going to play quite well. See, friends, I know what I'm talking about. Well, I mean, I, I know what I was talking about, and I know what I am talking about. I, uh, this thing is multi-layered like a taco dip. Or I can eat a also drink. Blood We've also got a blood crazy social light, the 3-3 menace, that when it attacks you can sack a blood token, give plus two plus two, and comes with a blood token. So all these little Ooh yeah, the blood crazy social light. That card's impressed me a lot. It's as I said, a 3-3 menace, you attack with it, you can sack a blood, it gets a plus two plus two, can threaten a lot of damage and help out with the blood synergies, so it's a nice card. I know it's a four drop and you don't want to play too many of them, but it can break a board stall. Especially because one of our rares is a rare called Dying to Serve. Ooh, let's talk about Dying to Serve, friends. So I, I thought this card was good. Tuna Black Enchantment, whenever you discard a card, you can pay one and make a 2-2 zombie creature. And I thought with all the blood tokens I had going on that it would serve me well, make a board full of 2-2s, and eventually with the good removal, kind of provide a wide swing. But it takes a lot of turns. And I still think it was probably right to play it in the sealed deck that I had, considering I didn't have a lot of bombs, I just had removal, and this was one of the ways of me getting incremental card advantage and creating an untenable board that not a lot of decks can answer in a field full of other bomb rares, so. Including as well, having the one three that can transform into doing some draining. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of like incidental direct damage to our opponents that's gonna provide, I think, a nice compliment to our removal package to get in there and end the game. So I was just talking there about Restless Bloodseeker, the 1-3 that can transform when you sack two blood tokens and then it becomes a two-life drainer. Card is great, but I do think it's a sneaky white-black card. It was kind of hard for me to transform throughout the limited event. Plus, tying up five mana can be quite the strain and if you want to continue to produce blood tokens off it you have to do that activated ability on your main phase leaving your shields down for your opponent to do stuff and you know i'd rather just pair it with some other white black life gain stuff so there's enough going on in the deck that i think it's pretty serviceable the things i also considered was going with a red white build i am leaving a wedding announcement on the table the 
two and a white enchantment that lets you draw cards at end turn if you attack with two more creatures or make one ones and then eventually flips into being a glorious anthem. The card is very, very good and my white pull isn't the worst, but I just like all the removal that black gives me. So one thing I think I could do better, especially going into future limited events, is evaluating other deck builds and not just looking at the first one that I see. So the red-white deck, I think in the end I would have still passed on it. Um, I might have, though, explored a white-black deck a little bit more, especially now that I've done a lot of white-black drafting since this event at Vegas, and I think it is actually quite a strong deck and I think I wish I would have put a little bit more thought into it with having the wedding announcement and the 2-3 lifelinker that at the end of turn if you gain life you can pay 2 and draw a card but hey coulda woulda shoulda's right my unlucky lot of drafts nicely put together I still have to know that the strength of the removal in the deck is probably what's going to help me get there the last card I want to talk about is vampire's kiss this ended up making my build so it's one in a black for sorcery. Target opponent loses two, you gain two, and then you make two blood tokens. And just for some context, yes, I'm talking about Vampire's Kiss in my black-red build. Drain two, make two blood tokens, but I really think that the blood tokens were so very important, especially because I was playing the Dying to Serve, and I just feel like it does just enough, and it did win me a game or two in the event, I just still believe it is more of a white-black card, but the fact that you're making two blood tokens is serviceable, and having the blood craze socialites and the 3-2 two, two that you can sack and give a creature twice minus x minus x equals the blood token you control, it felt like it was lining up in the right way. I also didn't have any Falcon Wrath Celebrants, the 4-4 four, four Menace that makes two blood tokens for five mana. What can you say? You gotta make do with what you open sometimes. And good removal to back up the time that I need is going to cause me to think that we've got this okay black-red control-type build with a little bit of sub-vampire theme. Yes, I said a lot there, folks, and I'm not going to lie. Hopefully this comes into some coherent thought for all of you listeners. Wait, Borak, I'm accusing myself of being long-winded? That's impossible. I never talk too much, right? Sigh, what can you say? You live by the spoken word? and you get egg put on your face by the spoken word. Well, that is the deck that we put together for our sealed event. It was black-red, it was pretty mid-range, had removal. Sadly, it didn't even have a reckless impulse for card advantage, but the Blood Fountain would have to do. But how did we end up? What were my insights post-game from each of our rounds here in the sealed limited event at CFB Vegas? Well. Stick around and find out. Go ahead, get yourself a refresh, all my unlucky lounge rats. We'll be right back. Welcome back, all of my unlucky lounge rats. I hope you've refreshed, refueled, and good to hear that you've returned. As we continue to go into our official day one, at CFB Vegas going into round one of the sealed limited main event. How did we do? What are some of our thoughts? Well, let's tune in. Welcome to after round one, all my listeners, and your boy can promptly say he took away the match slip. 1-0 after round one in a really good showcase of the deck. It can produce an early draw and then level out with solid removal and some incidental damage. I was playing against a pretty solid red-green deck. Both games, he came out 
Little solo out of the gates, and I had two drop into play on turn two. So that got me a lot of good tempo, and then following up with solid removal spells like Hero's Downfall, and in game one, combining Sure Strike plus the Vampire's Kiss that we talked about earlier to put together the final eight points of damage. That felt pretty good, and not gonna lie. And then game two, it was a tricky one, and I actually missed onboard lethal at one point with Deadly Dancer, one of the cards that it's in the deck I haven't talked about yet. It's a 2-3 two, for two and a red, that when it attacks with a single other creature, it transforms to a 3-3 three, three trample, produces two red, and has an activated ability that says that you can give it and another creature plus one plus O. Oh. It is certainly a chance for a beating. And I had a mountain in my hand, and I kind of counted it out, figured I had it, then I went to my attack step and didn't play my land, so whoops. Yeah, I can say that was a pretty big misplay on my part, especially since we're at a big event. Those small little things could add up to be a lot, but it's a pretty complicated card. It's a 2-3 on one side. When you attack with it and another creature, or at least two creatures attack, there's a transformation that happens, and then you get the other side. And then you have to calculate based off of that red-red activated ability to get that total damage count it's complicated it is but that just goes to prove to you that even though the set is based off of big cards there's still some interesting play with some of those transform cards so i will say or after a little bit of time here in the format i'm enjoying it more than i initially did just goes to show you after a while of not playing paper magic you really got to think things through especially because i also had two blood tokens on the battlefield i thought to rummage that mountain away but I just had Lethal on board. Good news is, didn't get punished for it. Still ended up with the win after having rummaged it and then found a 5-drop and a 6-drop, which closed out the game. Oh yeah, Borak, I got away with something there. Especially because our opponent later on showed that he had an Aberbuck Caretaker in his deck that he didn't draw. So, you know what? Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. <laughs> Luck be a lady tonight. What's going to happen in round two? Well... Let's keep playing and find out, but the deck is operating on all cylinders at the moment. Well, you heard the man. Let's see what happened after round two. Well, my lucky round tracks, round two goes away from me. <laughs> I'll tell you, Glorious Sunrise is a heck of a card. Both games, the opponent was able to wheel it out. That combined with an super learner and just eventuality, couldn't get there, unfortunately. Yeah, that was a little bit quiet. So just to clarify, we definitely didn't win round two. Our opponent was green-red, and they played quite a bit of good rares. They had a Glorious Sunrise. It's the enchantment for three and a green-green. And at the beginning of combat on your turn, you get one of four options. Either a land you control produces triple green. You draw a card if you control a creature with power three or greater. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and trample, which is very relevant. That kind of evasion is huge in this format. And then finally, you gain three life. The card just does everything. So if you're behind, ahead, parity, it's kind of crazy what that card can do. And then our opponent also played the Ill Tempo Loner, the Boros Reckoner of the set. It just wasn't a very fruitful round for us. And also, I took a little bit, I think, of too cute a line down a game. I decided to abrade their Honored Heirloom which 
just wasn't very good for me. They missed the land drop, and I just thought to deprive them of resources. But then they just played the ill-tempered loner, and I could have used the abrade on that, but then they still would have gotten one of my creatures. But it might have made the situation just a little bit better. But sadly, it just didn't work out very well for us. I will say that this was the game that kind of showed me that green-red was definitely a thing in this format. I heard whispers of it, but I was a bit skeptical. Now having done a few drafts of it, yeah, the archetype is real, and the werewolves are actually quite a bit more pungent. There's a number of activated ability monosyncs in this format. Plus, I actually do like the 3-3 three, three for 2 and a green that you can cast from your hand at flash speed for 2 additional mana. It's just these little nice caked in ways of incentivizing you to not play a spell on your turn and then flip it to night. I've been impressed and I'm kind of interested because I'm sure I'll do at least a few limited events with double feature to see how werewolves in general play out when we combined Midnight Hunt with Crimson Vow. But anyway, we're one and one. Let's see what happens when round three comes around. What a squeaker of round three. We're facing down red-white aggro, playing both Lantern Flare and Olivia's Attendant. We started off a bit slow in game one. They had a strong board, but we were able to call ourselves back and we even went for a lethal swing by swinging with Lotar Gargantuan, followed up with a Surge Strike, but then our opponent, to stay alive, cast Lantern Flare for one, just to gain the one life and get draw step, which if they would have drawn a blood token, they could have animated a sanguine statuette and get me for lethal since we were both at one. That was a nail biter of a match. And even in game two of this match, it was something fierce as they played their Olivia's attendance. And then I had to uh, dig for an answer. So you sack a blood token, you find a hero's downfall, and you wipe the sweat from your brow and give a smile. Yeah, thank you, Borok. I really appreciated that line too. So for those of you who maybe don't know the card off the top of your head, for Red Red, Olivia's Attendance, it has Menace, has an activated ability of two in red to deal one damage to any target, and then whenever this creature deals damage, you make that many blood tokens. And this is 100% a card that just takes over the game. If your opponent produces like five blood tokens, they essentially get to dig to whatever they need to close out and get the victory. So using that logic, I also had to find a way to close out and get an answer. It just goes to show you when you have a resource like a blood token, knowledge of your deck and then how to answer these particularly sticky situations can be a huge benefit for a game player. So let's go to the next round, see how it goes. Round number four is in the books. And the W goes to the Unlucky Lounge. We pulled out the victory here today based solely on having a really solid removal package. We were just able to spot check a few of their big creatures and eventually just push through damage with our field of three twos and menace attacking creatures. It was quite nice if I do say so myself. I think my favorite interaction was our opponent was tanking when they played their four drop Soren in the format on whether or not they wanted to plus one and get a card in their hand off the top of their library, take damage based off of its mana value, or minus two, and make a 2-2 two -two flying lifelink vampire. 2-3. Two, 
part of my articulation. And they decided to go with the plus one because it would be able to live through my 2-2 Magma Pummeler. And so I was able to Hero's Delph all the storm, and they didn't get too much value except for finding a enchanted land, the Nature's Presence, took three extra damage and didn't get anywhere near trying to overcome the hordes of vampires and black red creatures that I put forward. That's right, Borok. Reading the card explains the card. It's just one of those gut-check reminders that the way modern magic design is going. Check your removal spells, because incidentally, it might be able to hit Planeswalkers. This includes the punch spells out of green, black, and red direct targeting spells. Just keep a weathered eye out. It's nice that they're building in these ways of dealing with mythic planeswalkers when in the past we just really didn't have the resources to do it. Round five is in the books, and it's certainly not the kind of book that I want to read. Wow, well, opponent had a very well-constructed, well-balanced Naya deck, green, white, red, and wheeled out a couple 4-4 four, four flyers, including the, the Judge that gets the Judgment Counters and the Flying Dragon. I can one-shot you after you go spell, spell. Yeah, Borok, that was a really, really tough loss. Yeah, they just went two Mythics in a row. The Soul Bond Judge and the Mana Farm Hellkites. And in that situation, it's just... You have the removal, you don't. And I just... I didn't have it. And it's unfortunate. But our opponent played the deck well. Had a very well-constructed mana base. And I definitely walked away a little bit jealous at their pool. But... There we are. We were 3-2 going into round number 6. That means I had no more losses to give. It's not a great place to be, but hey, in my first GP, I was in the same situation. Had to go a series of wins with the black-red deck and the original Zendikar block. So I had done it before. Could I do it again? Ladies and gentlemen, unlucky lounge rats, your boy is hanging on by a thread. We're 4-2 after round 6, and what a match that was. Game 1 was a bit of a, a curve stomp on your friendly neighborhood podcast host speaking right now over your airwaves. But in games 2 and 3, well, I guess game 2 wasn't so much interesting, unfortunately, my opponent. Great guy. He got kind of mana screwed, and we just emptied our hand and won the game. However, game 3 was a tight one. So I'm going to take this one here just because the audio got a little bit weak in this description but in game three our opponent played stentia uprising which we saw out of game one this is the two red red enchantment that at the beginning of your end step you make a one one red human creature token and then if you have 13 exact permanents you can sack the uprising and then deal seven to any target so it's a really dynamic card that can both help you go wide and be spot removal and be a game ender. So we had this really tricky situation where our opponent was trying to get that 13th permanence and I had to do a really odd attack and show that I had some kind of trick to finish it, which in this situation was a sure strike that my opponent saw in previous games in this round. So I attacked with a Bloodcrate Socialite and the Voltaic Visionary, the 3-1 that can activate, exile a card, you play it, then you transform it if you play that exiled card into a 4-3. First off, I definitely did not have two damage to give, but then I attacked with the 3-1 and the Menace 5-5 five five, with them at 8, representing that the Sure Strike would kill them. It was a lethal attack, and I 
essentially just bluffed fully that I had this trick to kill them. And, well, they, they bit, and they blocked, and I had them lose one of their 1-1s that they produce off of the Stencia Uprising, and then that got them off of that Sacrifice Trigger that would have killed me in their next turn. It was a very, very visceral line that depended on them having a knowledge of what was in my deck prior to that game, and then me playing to the fact that I had that card in my hand, whereas I didn't. It was just one of those situations that really made me miss Paper Magic. Oh man, it was a sweater. Plus, it was really awesome to meet this opponent and chat with them both before and after the game. It turns out that we were both originally from Wisconsin. It's just a random connection that you make in these events, but I will say it was really inspiring to make that connection. So a little bit of joy and effervescent nature brought us into round seven, four and two, with still two more rounds to play out. Going into round seven, we were at the bubble, and unfortunately for us, the bubble popped. We lost a pretty squeaker against a... <laughs> no, Vorak, I don't know what a pretty squeaker is. I was just talking. I, I just got eliminated. What are you going to do? I just kept a hand in game three that maybe in foresight I probably should have morning. Yeah, that's actually a good point I'm making there. So I was that red-black deck. My opponent was green-red werewolves and had quite a number of good attacking and combat-based synergies, and I kept a hand that had a removal spell and two five drops. Now, granted, I think maybe it's still better than a mulligan to six, but I think in that matchup, I really need to look at the role that I'm supposed to be playing, especially when I'm on the play, and look for a more aggressive hand to leverage my cards in the best way. I'm starting to get a handle on the format just a little bit, and who knows, maybe this can yield something really cool. Yeah, sure enough, your boy got eliminated at 4-3 in the main event. And I think over time I've really learned to have a tough layer of skin to put on, especially when things like this happen. Magic the Gathering would not be what it is, were it not be for the variants. <laughs> it's almost Christmas, Borox. I don't know, twer is a phrase that I use sometimes. <laughs> Oh, whatever, you big galoof. Besides, you're not the language police. <laughs> oh, sus to you too. In any case, we were out from the main event, but I can say it was a lot of fun to play across from people again, especially in a large main event hall, and kudos to Channel Fireball for keeping it safe. I had not mentioned it yet, but they had to have people take a test ahead of time if they were unvaccinated, and, of course, vaccinated individuals had to present their vaccination card. Plus, there was a lot of spacing for the game, be it proximal distance for chairs or even during the actual main events. The tables were quite well separated and the play areas were spaced up enough where I never felt like I was getting into a dangerous situation. So kudos to the whole event team for putting together what I think was a really good rollout at the hopeful outset of the pandemic. Although my main event dreams were dashed, that does not mean that my weekend was completely for naught. Going into the final day on Sunday, 
There were plenty of side events to sink your teeth into. This includes commander games, popper, vintage, modern, and of course, plenty of limited to be had. And one thing that I was very excited for, had I not make the main event day two, was to give a go at some of the Mystery Booster Convention Edition. Now, if you go all the way back in the archives of this show, you'll find that myself and two of my best magic friends, Jesse and Jason, we did a spoiler review of the playtest cards from the Mystery Booster product. And these are very wacky, wacky cards. They're things that, for the most part, a lot of them would not end up being an actual card design, but it was definitely magic trying something out in a limited sense and experimenting with play design. Now, some of the cards may see some print someday. They're not completely out of the realm, but they definitely add a certain dynamic to the games. Plus, this Mystery Booster Convention Edition product is packed to the brim with value. And I mean value with a capital V. So while the drafts cost $25, you're probably going to make that back in some level. So the final day of the Vegas event, here we are. Let's go back to me and see how that day started. Well, now it's time for us to enjoy some on-demand events, some side shenanigans. <sighs> oh yeah, Borak. I can confidently say that I love the word shenanigans. Plus, a handful of really nice, solid reprints found along the way. For example, the pick one, pack one out of my mystery booster that I did here this morning. And that was Triumph of the Hordes. Oh boy, a new Phyrexian bop. Two green green. For sorcery creatures you control, get plus one, plus one, trample, and infect. Oh, I was really excited to draft this card, especially because my own heuristic of limited in formats like Mystery Booster or Chaos Draft, as we did back in the old LGS days, the board states stall out because aggro plans can't get there as consistently because you don't have as much of the pool of the set that you're drafting from to really put together a solid, cohesive, aggressive curve. So board stalls would work really well with this. And then even if it doesn't exactly kill them, you're probably presenting plus 20-ish infect damage that they have to deal with. Otherwise, they just lose the game. So it becomes a really weird but kind of good sorcery speed removal spell. Also, I drafted back in the old Scars of Mirrodin, New Phyrexia, Mirrodin Besieged days. And I never got to actually play with this card because it was so good. And now it's like $12, so it's also value. Well, I took that and said, let's go into it. So we ended up getting some kind of Sultai Brew. It's a green-black base with a little bit of a splash in blue, so we can play a handful of cute cards like Grasp of Phantasms is in the pool. <laughs> Correct. That is the stuff right there. For those who've never seen or played the card Grasp of Phantasms, three in a blue sorcery put a creature on top of its owner's library and then it flashes back for seven and a blue oh man this card just messed people up and i really love that i got to play this card as a nice control piece in a deck that's looking to sell out and win based off of a overwhelming board presence anyway also there was a series of cards that made me very happy to take which included three frogs in a row first was a unique 2-1 for one and a black. It's a frogkin kidnapper. You ransom a card from your opponent's hand. This is one of those zany mechanics that came out of the mystery boosters. An opponent reveals a hand. You choose a card from it. It gets exiled. 
and they have to pay three to return it back to their hand at any time. Then we took Plaxcaster Frogling. Uh, this is a darling of a card that I missed quite a bit. This is from the original Ravnica set, Dissension. One of the first times I really started to dive into Limited myself. It's a 0-0 with Graph 3 for one green-blue, so that means when it enters the battlefield, it gets three counters. And then, when another creature enters the battlefield, you can move one of the counters from Plaxcaster Frogling to it, and then it can also give your creature Shroud with an activated ability of two colorless. So that was frog number two, and then the final frog was the good old legend, meme friend of them all, Yargle, a nine three from Dominaria. And I had to take either that or a Frexian Rager. And honestly, the, the correct pick is Frexian Rager. This is the two two for two to black when it enters the outfield. Draw a card and lose a life. It kind of works perfectly with our deck. However, kind of wanted to give Yargle infect and win the game. Now, is this greedy of me? 100% yes. I did not care, though. I <laughs> just took it down. Plus, it was too cute. It was frog into frog into frog. Yes, Borok. I am very clear that I was drafting sub-optimally, but come on, tribal frogs. Three frogs in a row? It was just too cute. Plus, I just... I couldn't resist the idea of Yargle becoming a 10-4 with Trample and Infect. It just, it seemed really fun to me. And in the end, it's kind of the thesis of this show. I'll give you some insights. I'll tell you a little bit about how to play Limited better along with the context of, say, Friday Night Podcast. But I really want the fun of Limited to come out with this show. And I think this whole Vegas event kind of helped reinvigorate what this show is all about to me. If you want to get better at drafting and sealed, go check out Limited Resources. Go check out Limited Edition, Lords of Limited. But if a spoiler season has you so excited by the commons and uncommons and how they're going to play in the coming limited environment, then the doors of the Unlucky Lounge, they're always open for you. How do you deny the cuteness of a frog army? So while we weren't optimizing our picks, boy, it has been a fun time to draft this deck. And... The way that side events go at these large events is you kind of just roll right into your round number one. When you have your draft pool of eight, you count four seats across, and then you play your game. Ended up in game number one, just getting pretty solid curve out into another legend that I picked up. So I went turn one search for tomorrow, turn three. It's a three four, don't quite know how to pronounce its name, but it's one of the playtest cards. It says protection from modified creatures. This means that if the creature's power and toughness is different than what's printed on the card, that this creature itself has protection from it. It also has a nifty end of turn ability that at the end of a player's turn, I may put a counter onto a creature that player controls. So at its base, you just get to grow your board out. And then every once in a while, you can put a counter on your opponent's creature, making this legendary Simic Commander protection from that creature. Really a nifty card, as it were. So that, then combined with just getting a pretty solid curve out and accelerating on top of it, gave us the win. Plus our deck has a few sleeper card draw hits, like the good old Harmonize from Planar Chaos, and a Sandstep Oracle. For Summon Colorless, it's a 4-4 Flyer, and then when it enters the battlefield, if your opponent controls more cards than you do, you draw cards equal to the difference. And with an ability to ramp it out and keep card draw going, and just having a 4-4 Flyer is not too bad in a format like this, where a game plan isn't as cohesive, you're kind of just playing a lot of good stuff and making ham sandwiches. 
Yeah, and I stand by this point as well. I think one of the criticisms against Mystery Booster Drafts and Chaos Drafts in general is that the lack of synergy and the more focus towards bread, you know, bombs, removal, evasions, etc. It kind of gives it a little bit less of a fun luster and more of chaos and variance. And considering that most limited players are all about controlling that variance, I think that it gets a little bit of fair criticism. But I'm not going to lie, it's also just a lot of fun. It's that warm, cuddly feeling you get when you cascade into a removal spell. We'll see how the rounds go as we continue to develop with this mystery booster, and hey, maybe we'll get a few drafts in today. That sounds like a whole lot of fun on a day two here at CFB Vegas. And my unlucky lounge rats, that's the last bit of audio that I recorded during the event. <laughs> Borak, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. Like I said, these events go very quickly. You don't wait for pairings when you're in the side event, especially smaller drafts. Essentially, you've got a piece of paper that is a bracket, and it tells you who plays who after certain wins. And a round can take a long time, and sometimes it can take a short time. Sometimes you're the one with the long, grindy game, and then you just roll into your next match right away. And while I don't have audio between the rounds and the drafts, I can give you a summary of what happened in my Mystery Booster drafts. <laughs> yeah, we'll suck it up, Buttercup. Anyway, with that Saltai deck that I mentioned, we ended up with the trophy. We had to actually do the math on a combat swing with the Triumph of the Hordes. I added up 22 points of infect damage, and they only had 12 points of toughness to block, and we <laughs> got them in one fell swoop in a very expansive and tough-to-calculate board with that spell. And that got us the trophy for our first draft. We rolled right into draft two, and it was a pretty unassuming red-green deck splashing a little bit of white that we had a few grindy matchups. We had to try and take down a Mycloth. This is a 4-4 four, four for three green-green and has Devour 2, which means when it enters the battlefield, you can sack any number of creatures and then get that many plus one, plus one counters times two. So they were making two Sapperlings every single turn off of the effect of the Mycloth, I could not go tall or wide enough against the Mycloth, so I had to pacify it, which wasn't helping the situation, and then I had to eventually line up enough creatures on my battlefield and sack them all off to Mortar Pod. This is a living weapon equipment from Mirrodin Besiege that essentially allows you to sacrifice a creature to deal one damage to any target. It was a wacky game. We ended up 2-0-1. My final round opponent and I decided to split the final round and then go to the final draft of the day where we opened up a monocrypt and pick one pathway. I know, I know, I felt kind of dirty too. It's a pretty unreasonable card in a normal game of limited. Well, I mean, Borak, when I said that there were some nice reprints, I wasn't joking around. And yeah, certainly I won a, a few games off of it, but... For great justice, in the last round, I played the boys from the podcast, Limited Edition, and I actually lost off my own coin flips to Monocrypt, so somewhat justice, what can you say? It was actually a really tight game in that final round against one of the hosts of Limited Edition, but we did take home another trophy purely based off of the second Triumph of the Hordes of the Day.
Hey, what can I say? If it's not broke, don't fix it. Someone pass me the card. What you gonna do? Just pocket another $12 in card value and win some drafts. But I will say it was a pleasure to meet Eric and Xander. Go check out their podcast. I'll put the link in the description of the episode below for you to take in some more great limited content. But that pretty much brought an end to our time at CFB Vegas. As a summary, it was great to play Paper Magic again. And to do so in an environment where people who love the game came together. I'm not going to use the whole gathering cliche anymore, but I will say this made me excited to get back out there again. To dive back into what this podcast was all about. And in some level, this whole episode was kind of a test. Did this whole me recording it on my phone then put it into this audio scrapbook form work for you, all of my unlucky lounge rats? I would love to go out there to LGSs and create these same kind of audio recordings, put them together, talk to myself, hear what my own insights are, and tell you what I think if I'm, you know, full of insight or just kind of full of it. I want to know what you think. Find me on those socials on Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, Draft, and Draft Corey. You can find my Instagram, Corey Damone Enriquez. But most importantly, get out there and enjoy the game. Do so safely. Do so responsibly. But if you're a planeswalker like me, go out there and have some fun. Well, friends, it looks like I've found the bottom of my drink, and so we've reached the end of another episode. No Friday Night Podcast this week. We've got a busy couple of days ahead of us, so please enjoy this episode. And this weekend is the draft open on MTGA. You know I will be doing it, and if I get a chance to, I'll be doing it live on Twitch. So love for you to come by the Unlucky Lounge and see how we do, and maybe we can day two this online event. But for now, thanks for joining. My name is Corey, joined alongside Borok, and this has been Draft and Draft. Now go out there and make some magical memories of your own. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.